Good morning. Today we conclude the Who's My Neighbor series, all right? And so we're going to wrap this series up by having our party training after the 11 o'clock service. Mary Keel will be leading that event. Lunch is provided, childcare is available. So even if you haven't RSVP'd, we would like for you to just stick around. It's going to be right after this event. Um, and if we need to get more food, we will do that. Um, but you don't want to miss out. As Mary shares with us some practical ways that we can be intentional with our neighbors, all right? Also, the idea behind this series can be attributed to a book we made available to you guys. It's called The Art of Neighboring. Two weeks ago, we gave away 200 copies of this book. We ordered some more because we ran out. So if you did not grab a copy last two weeks ago, be sure to grab a copy today. You guys ready? Now for the sermon. Announcements are done. I don't know about you, but I have been extremely challenged by this series, all right? And challenge may not be the best descriptor for how I feel and this situation that I'm in. I'm the type of guy that doesn't mind saying hi to my neighbors, waving and smiling. I'm cordial, and usually they're cordial right back. And I'm completely okay with it ending right there. That's enough for me. But now, because of the series, I have to learn people's names, right? I have to write them down on this magnet and put them on my wall. And, oh, let's not forget that Mary's going to train me today to throw a party for a bunch of strangers that I don't know, that I don't trust, and that I may not like. (laughs) That's my reality. So when I think about this series strictly from a human and natural perspective, understand that I break out into a cold sweat. Reaching out to my neighbors reminds me of cold calling. If you've never done cold calling, you have a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> and if that's your, your daily lot today, stick around and we'll pray for you after the service because I feel for you. When I did cold calling, I was given a list of names and numbers, and my job was to plow through that list and be convincing enough to get someone on the other end that may or may not have heard of our company or product to be willing to hear more about what we had to offer. My job was to take a lead from being cold to warm, and a warm lead is simply a listening ear. Now, When it comes to ministry and discussing the things of God, I love warm leads, okay? I can spend hours talking to someone about those things. I can learn from them and I can share with them what I have learned. And even though I am an extreme introvert, I can leave those conversations invigorated, refreshed. But the thought of reaching out to a cold lead The thought of reaching out to my neighbor simply paralyzes me. It paralyzes me. And it paralyzes me for many of the same reasons why I don't like cold calling. Because I'm afraid of rejection. And because I have this belief that my return on investment is so minuscule that it's not worth it. The overwhelming majority will not be interested So seriously, strictly from a human and natural perspective, I have no desire to reach out and throw parties for my neighbors. And this is the point where you guys start to wonder, what are you doing preaching this message then? All right. I share that with you because some of you may be feeling or thinking the same thing. But I believe 
that there is another perspective that we all need to consider. I believe that it is absolutely possible to overcome those pressures and those fears and that discomfort we feel when we think about reaching our neighbors and even begin to be able to experience great joy and excitement when we look at this neighboring movement from a heavenly or spiritual vantage point. When we just simply change our perspective and not only look at it from a natural perspective, but from a heavenly outlook. But before I move on, I feel that I need to clarify a few things, all right? When we talk about throwing parties and getting to know our neighbors and loving our neighbors, are we really just talking about that? Or is that code for me having to share my faith with others? Is something else involved or going on? The answer is both. Listen, knowing and having a great relationship with your neighbors is a good thing. There are many practical reasons why we should want to do that in and of itself. It makes our neighborhood safer. People look out for each other. The sense of community becomes strong, and on and on we can go. But the commandment to love our neighbor as ourself is not given to us in a vacuum. The command comes from a God that has greatly loved us and has called us to share that love with others in both word and deed. In word and deed. But don't miss this. In most instances, the deeds and love and relationship has to be established for the words to carry any weight. But on the other end of the spectrum... If our actions of love never point the way to Jesus, I believe we could be missing the point completely. The two go hand in hand, words and deeds. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, that's completely fine. We're glad you're here. I believe that you can take the practical aspects of this series and of what Mary's going to share at the party training, apply them in your neighborhood, and as a result, make a noticeable difference and impact on your street. I think that's possible. But for me, personally, the natural benefits aren't a sufficient motivator to get me to do that. It's not enough. Those benefits alone will keep me in my cocoon. It'll keep me locked behind my door, my windows, and just in my own comfortable space. So what I want to speak into today is the importance of pressing forward with this neighboring movement because of the eternal implications that are at stake. Today, our primary passage is in Luke 5. We're going to read about two occasions in which Jesus calls his disciples. Both accounts give us similar and key details that we need to understand as we seek to engage and love our neighbors. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of our volunteers will come by and hand you a Bible. And once you turn to Luke 5, if you will, please stand as we read God's word. We're going to read, like I said, two sections, verses 4 through 11 in chapter 5, and also verses 27 through 32. Luke 5, verse 4, it reads, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You may be seated. I pray that God's word will speak to us today. All right. A few observations from these two passages. As I have already mentioned These are two accounts of Jesus calling disciples, which is not significant by itself. However, what is interesting is that in both accounts of Jesus calling these men, the subject, the subject, hear me, of reaching others comes up. Jesus tells Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And he tells Peter, the Pharisees at Levi's party, that the reason he is eating with sinners and tax collectors, the reason he's eating with Levi's friends is because he has come to call sinners to repentance. Calling sinners to repentance. I, I don't know for you, but for, 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 for many of us, calling sinners to repentance may sound like a bad thing to many of our ears. To our, to our modern ears, it sounds like judgment, right? It, it sounds like, look how awful you are. You must change your ways. But no, no, that, that's not what's going on here. This is a good thing. This is good news. A call to repentance is a call to a new life. A life that God offers, a life with him. It's Jesus saying, I see that you have a need and I'm here to help. It's, it's Jesus saying, I see that you are hurting and I'm here to bring healing. A call to repentance is one of mercy. It's an act of mercy. So we see Jesus calling these men, his disciples, and then we see him emphasizing the need to call others. What this does to me, what this speaks of to me is of God's heartbeat. God's heartbeat. It sheds light on the purpose and mission of Jesus. And here's my first observation. It's going to be on the screen. God is passionate about reaching those that are far from him. God is passionate about reaching those that are far from him. And he is passionate because he loves us so much. But how great is that love? How great is the love of God for us? It's so great that he was willing to give up what was most precious to him in order to have us back. We see this very idea in John 3.16, right? The most mainstream Bible verse that we have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is not, however, the kind of giving that we see at Christmas or birthdays, right? A cheerful event. No, no, no. This this giving of his son was not an easy thing for God to do. 
It was that great personal loss and pain. It meant the brutal crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ on the cross, which was necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. It was necessary, absolutely necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, we will never be able to fully understand the love of God for us. I have heard it described, though, as an ocean. You can see its beginning, but not its end. And you can't even begin to describe how wide and how deep it is. That's the love of God for us. It's a long, it's a high, it's a wide, and it's a deep love that is inexhaustible. So the first observation, God is passionate about reaching those far from him. Now, the second observation builds on the first. Because God is passionate about reaching those that are far from him, he is personally involved in the process. Again, when I think about being intentional with getting to know my neighbors, I get all nervous and fearful and, and because I begin to think that I need to be winsome, right? I need to be, I need to be cheesy. I need to be fake. And, and, and then all of a sudden, I, be, I try to become everything that I'm not. And I start to hate myself in the process. It's like, because the, the, the thought is, is that I need them to like me. So I need to do everything possible to get them to like me so that they can like Jesus sooner or later. I know it's a bad way of thinking. But what I'm in essence saying is, success falls squarely on my shoulders. So I can't be myself, and I'm all alone in this. It's almost as if I believe that God has given us this commandment, and he's sitting back waiting to see how we do. But that's the farthest thing from the truth. In our passage, in both examples, we see Jesus directly involved in the process of reaching those that are far from God. When Levi threw the party for Jesus... Jesus didn't stay outside because he didn't approve of the crowd. No, he was in the thick of it. He was, he was in the middle of the party sitting and eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And another thing that we need to know is that Jesus didn't tell Levi to bring all of his tax collector friends down to the temple. Jesus went to where they were comfortable. Let's not miss this. Yes, Levi was called into a new life as a follower of Jesus. But Levi's new life as a follower of Jesus was never meant to take him away from the lives of those who didn't share his faith in Jesus. It was never meant to take him away. So we see Jesus intentionally engaging Levi's friends at this party. Today, we don't have the luxury of having Jesus' presence with us, physical presence with us. But in Peter's story, we get a glimpse of the type of involvement we can expect when we begin to reach out to our neighbors. Peter and his buddies had been fishing all night, right? But they caught nothing. As they are cleaning their nets and wrapping things up, Jesus gets into a boat and begins to teach from there. Once he is done teaching, he tells Peter to go out and cast his nets. Now, fishing is what Peter and his buddies did for a living. They were professionals. What did Jesus do? He was a carpenter, and he's giving these fishermen advice on when they need to go fish. So, G- so Peter begins to share with Jesus his skepticism about what he's asking him to do. He's probably telling him, hey, the, the current is all wrong. It's not the right time of day. We've been doing this all night. The fish have all sank to the bottom. 
we're not going to catch anything again. But despite all the reasons that Peter may have had, it says, because of Jesus' word, Peter went out. And it says that when they let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break and that they had to call their partners for help. And that when the partners arrived, that even there was so many fish that the, that the boats began to sink. They had never seen anything like that or experienced anything like that. So hear this. What seemed like a waste of time to Peter turned out to be a miraculous catch that Jesus orchestrated. Jesus says to them, you thought that was something, right? To be able to catch a bunch of fish. But from now on, you will be fishers of men. From now on, you will be reaching others. Listen, this is not something that I can explain thoroughly or prove scientifically or give you all these facts. But one thing I am convinced of is that Jesus is at work in the hearts of many men, women, and children that are around us. He is at work in their hearts. And what may seem like a meaningless and pointless attempt to get to know your neighbors can actually coincide with a miraculous catch that God is orchestrating from heaven just to have one of his creation close to him. Just begin to imagine what can happen when we begin to extend our hand to our neighbors, learn their names, and in practical ways communicate love. What can God begin to do in that type of environment? What's possible? The fact of the matter is that we're not alone in this. God is involved, and his involvement can take our measly attempts and do some amazing things in the lives of others. About six years ago, my wife and I set out to do something that we knew for sure we couldn't do alone. We fostered a 16-year-old girl when we were only about 24 and 25. When we did it, it wasn't about seeing her come to faith or anything else. Because quite honestly, we didn't think that was possible. Here was a girl that couldn't believe in a God that would allow her to go through what she went through. She had lost both her parents to AIDS by the age of five. And she suffered of of verbal and physical abuse every day after that. So when we met her, she was living in a shelter. She was unable to go to school simply because she didn't have a permanent address. And she was suffering from great pain in her abdomen because of ulcers. And the ulcers were were stress-related because of her circumstances. So my wife and I simply began to address the need. We gave her a stable home, we got her enrolled in a GED program, and we took her to her her medical appointments. But as we did those basic things, God was doing a work that we could not do. Listen, I did not believe it was possible for this young girl's heart to ever heal. In my mind, it was impossible. She had gone through so much, and, I, and in my mind, I would justify, you have a right not to believe in God. You shouldn't have gone through all the stuff you've gone through. You shouldn't have been homeless for a period of time. You should have never um, received physical abuse from your godmother and your caregiver, the person that your parents trusted to care for you after they passed away. That shouldn't have, ha- have happened, and I don't know why God allowed it to happen. So you're right in not believing in God. And this broken heart that we get, and we're like, God, we just want to help her. We just want to do some simple things that just 
could probably get her on the right track. But after some time, I was just doing those basic things. She truly began to thrive and, and began to become aware, more and more aware of God's presence and hand upon her life. Because a few people decided to show her some love and just care for her. We can meet physical needs. We can do that. But God is the only one that can meet a person's greatest need. He's the only one that can work on the heart. And when we do our part, he's going to do his part. He's already doing his part. He's getting the ground ready for you. So God is passionate about reaching people far from him. He is involved in the process, working on people's hearts. And the amazing thing about this all is that he invites us to join him in this great work. He invites us to join him. Check out this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It says that God through Christ reached us for himself and has now given us the charge to reach others for him. We're not responsible for the results and the hard work that only God can do. But what is our role in this process? How do we reconcile others to God? There are three qualities that I see in the stories of Peter and Levi that I believe can lead to successful engagement with our neighbors. The first one, obedience. An obedience to engage others. Peter was hesitant to do something that he felt wouldn't bring results. But because Christ said it, he did it. Simple obedience. Second, humility. When Peter saw the miraculous catch, he was so amazed and at the same time humbled that he said to Jesus, depart from me because I am a sinful man. A statement like that from someone would be a red flag to most of us. If someone said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, you're like, I need to run away from this person. But not to Jesus. He can use someone that recognizes their need for him in order to reach others that also have a need for him. The last quality, honor. Levi threw a party in his home for Jesus. In those days, tax collectors were despised. And in these days, for some of you, tax collectors are still despised. So the simple act of Jesus calling Levi to follow him must have been mind-blowing and deeply impacting. Levi was being accepted. And maybe for the first time. This led Levi to honor Jesus before his friends. In essence, basically what Levi was doing by throwing this party for Jesus, he was pointing to Jesus. Basically saying, he's different. He did something for me that I believe he wants and can do for you. Obedience, humility, and honor. That's our role. God is doing his work, but I believe those are, that's our role. 
If we embody these qualities as we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves, we can confidently leave the results to God with the hope of making an eternal difference. In just a moment, the band is going to come up here, and they're going to lead us in worship, and we're going to celebrate communion. And I believe communion is an appropriate response to this message and series. As we read earlier, God reconciled us to himself, right? And, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in that very last verse, verse 21 of that chapter, Paul writes, For our, our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's blood was poured out and his body was broken so that we might be reconciled to God. So as we take of the elements for communion today, the bread, which represents Christ's body, and we dip it into the cup, the juice, which represents his blood, let us all be reminded of the significance of that sacrifice for our lives and for those that are near us. We have two stations for communion where the elements will be served. And as the band plays, you can make your way along that back wall or along this side wall behind the chairs back here. And let's just reflect on what God has done for us and how he has called us to share that in word and deed with those that are around us. Let me pray and then we'll respond in worship and in communion. God, we thank you for your great love and your great passion for reaching us, God, for having us back close to you. God, we thank you that you were involved in that process, that you gave your son Jesus so that we can receive forgiveness of our sins through that sacrifice. But Lord, you didn't end there. Lord, you have called us to share what you have done with others and through acts of love and through words and through, through reaching out, God. And I pray that you will give us the strength and the courage to be able to overcome those fears and pressures and, and just discomfort that it all kind of builds up inside of us as we begin to think about reaching our neighbors, about loving those in our city, about having mercy on them. God, I pray that you will give us courage. I pray that you will be with us. I pray that you will fill us with your spirit as we set out to press forward and see this neighboring movement make an eternal difference in the lives of those here in San Francisco. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond.